FinTech, TechFin, Contactless, and QR codes. This week is all about how we pay for what we buy and why fashion cares. We speak to those in the know, tech people who are helping brands sell to customers in new ways. We look at what's happening now and what's coming next. I'm Megan McDowell, and this is The Tech Edit by Vogue Business. The Tech Edit by Vogue Business is brought to you in association with PayPal Credit, helping your customers buy now and pay over time. Go to paypal.com forward slash PayPal Credit to learn more. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of The Tech Edit by Vogue Business. I'm your host, Megan McDowell. Today, we're talking about a topic that has been getting a lot of attention and a lot of innovation recently, payments. The line between payments platform, tech company, and social network is continuing to blur as companies compete to be the link between brands and consumers. Fashion is seeing it as a new way to build loyalty, and platforms are seeing opportunities to be involved in the moments before a purchase is made. Here with me today are Jim Magatz, SVP of Omni Payments at PayPal, and Susan Schmidt, VP US Credit Merchant Sales and Marketing at PayPal. And full disclosure, PayPal Credit is a Tech Edit podcast sponsor. We're also joined by Derek Stubbs, Senior Director and Analyst at Gartner. Welcome. Thank, Thank you. you. Hello. Good to be here. So, Jim, I, I'd love to take it to you. Payments, they've been, you know, quiet for a while. They've been sleepy. And then all of a sudden, payments are like a really hot topic. So, you know, there's even like a new term for it called tech fin, which is basically tech companies getting into financial services. So what's going on? Why are payments such a hot topic right now? Yeah, it's great to finally be in a sexy industry after working in it for several years. And <laughs> what we see in, in what we've seen sort of evolve over the course of the last almost say 20 years within PayPal is, as you really point out, it's sort of a blurring of the lines between what a, a customer wants and, and what merchants want and really the opportunity to use payments as a way to bring them together. And so the, the movement of mobile commerce, the movement of e-commerce is really about uh, intermediating people. And, and the most important thing to actually bring them together once they have intent is to actually consummate the transaction. And that's where payments comes into it. And so think of payments as that linking between consumer and buyer. Derek, what are you seeing in your research? Is is there sort of like a resurgence in interest in this space? It sure is. It's interesting. Um, I like the way Jim put that, you know, it's good to be in a sexy business again. Um, the funny thing is, is that when we talk about, say, mobile or contactless payments, for example, it's always been right around the corner. And uh, we've seen an acceleration of that in the last couple of years with more universal or ubiquitous adoption, both from the consumer side and from the merchant side. But what's really happening is a pandemic seems to be really accelerating a lot of this stuff. We actually uh, just fielded some research. It's not even published yet, so shh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> but uh, uh, we found that uh, 40% of consumers were agreeing that they were more willing to do business with stores and other commercial premises that offered contactless payment options. So we're seeing some really interesting things happening because people don't want to touch dirty things uh, right now. In fact, 29%, almost 30% of consumers told us that they've decreased their use of cash. And presumably that's because of two reasons. One, it's a vector. It's dirty. It's, cash is gross. And two, it's also because people are kind of sequestered. They're not going out as much. Uh, but that's some interesting stuff if we consider sort of what might be happening in the future. So Jim, it's interesting because like PayPal has been in payments for you know, over 20 years. So it's no longer really the new kid on the block, but that also means it's evolved over time. It's added new services to to serve the new consumer. What are you seeing there? Are, 
as far as multiple services. And I, I know um, Derek did mention contactless payments. Is that something that's probably on your radar right now? No, absolutely. I, I think we have always been in the, the business of safe, easy, and secure payments and safe, easy, and secure commerce. And you know, it, it started with you know Elon Musk and Peter Thiel and uh, beaming Palm Pilot money to each other in terms of a contactless way of exchanging money to, to now what we've announced over the course of the last couple of weeks around really invigorating the QR code as, as a way to enable folks to do commerce in, in ways that you know they, A, don't want to touch cash, B, they bring people to them that are known in terms of the PayPal network or the Venmo network. And it's just it's a much easier way of doing business. So QR code is like, if I'm shopping like a smaller merchant, I can scan a QR code like on a printout or on their phone and that transfers my money right there without touching anything. Is that, is that like basically how that works? Yeah. So just think, think of it as I take a picture of a, or basically a barcode on a sheet of paper is probably the most mm -hmm. simplistic view of it. So it, you know, go back to maybe when I was young, having a lemonade stand and you know, people didn't have a quarter in their pocket, but they now have their mobile phone <laughs> in their pocket. And so if I'm an entrepreneurial young uh, lemonade stand person, I can basically put a barcode on my lemonade stand and someone can walk by with their mobile phone, take a picture of it and effectively be money from my bank account to your bank account straight away. And that, that's probably the most simplistic way to describe it. And it, it, what also is really important is uh, under QR code standards, there's a lot of rich data that gets passed back and forth. So in traditional payments, it, it tends to be very simplistic what gets passed. It could just be the name of the person, the bank account details, the amount of money. But what QR code does, it's a much richer data set that gets passed. So the merchant, in this case, of the lemonade stand will now know all about me in terms of the data that I'm passing, that you can pass loyalty information. There's a whole bunch of information that can now be passed uh, about that consumer to the merchant that then you can extend into other offers and other post-transaction activities for them. And so not only is it safer, it actually is a more enriched experience for both the, the, the merchant as well as the consumer. Kind of ties into this idea of payments being not just like this invisible moment, but sort of like a, a marketing moment where it's like, I guess, more involved in the purchase journey, which is interesting. And, and I want to talk about that a little bit later because I know PayPal is getting more into that space. But uh, before we go there, I want to talk a little bit about the mobile wallet. And maybe Susan, are you seeing mobile wallets or the use of mobile wallets increasing? Derek, I, I think you probably have some research on this as well, where it's like using your phone or your watch or something to pay without touching Tell us a little bit about what you're seeing there, Susan, as, as far as that. Yeah, so maybe a different way that I would answer that question has to do with what we see as it relates to the younger generations and their willingness to use credit. There's a bit of a false narrative out there that the younger generations, like they're credit averse, and we're just not seeing that in our data at all. Mobile wallet usage in general is continuing to grow year over year, but I, I, I usually get this question as it relates to these younger generations. So I'd like to talk a little bit about what we are seeing. This generation is, like most generations, looking for flexible financing options. And that's what the buy now, pay later space is actually bringing to the, the purchase journey. What we're seeing is pretty much a linear 
rate that's unchanged over the last decade in terms of application and usage of credit. And it tends to have more to do with where individuals are in their career journey and progression of income than it has to do with any sort of generational perspective that's unique or different. And we can actually see this. It shows up not only in our data as it relates to application rates and usage rates, but we see it if we look over, flip over to Venmo and look at some of the emoji data, we see pretty, pretty much at what my generation, my parents' generations would have been doing, which is you're young and in college or part-time employed, you're sharing money back and forth for pizza and beer. And that progresses to palm trees um, and airplanes because I've got a little bit more money and now I can vacation. And that moves on to weddings and gifts for weddings onto buying a house and having a baby. And we see that pretty consistently. So they're just different ways that these generations express themselves. But the use of credit is, is pretty consistent from our standpoint. And the other unique thing that we're seeing is that today's consumers really across the board, especially millennials and Gen Z, they want to align with companies who have values and who care about values. And we just did a survey recently where we, it was really a broader survey, so not just related to the younger generations, but 63% of Americans believe CEOs have a social responsibility. And during this pandemic, we're seeing a lot more um, conscious choice around supporting local merchants, which has been interesting. I spent a lot of time in, in Brazil and Mexico. And when we ask customers there, do they like credit? They say, absolutely not. We'll never use credit. But if you ask them, do you use installments? They say, absolutely. It's it's sound financial management. And so I think post the last financial crisis, credit is a dirty word, but uh, cash management, equal payments, those type of things are viewed as smart financial decisions for your your, your generation uh, Z population. So it may still be credit, but it, it's more about giving them choices of how to pay in, in what's viewed as a more responsible way of paying. And so that's why I think sometimes the perception is that they don't want a traditional revolving credit card. They want other options that, that go with it. And so um, it's really important to note that, that as we see that emerging for us. Derek, can you talk a little bit about this rebranded idea of paying and in installments, whatever word you want to use for it? Like, what are you seeing there? I love what uh, both Susan and Jim were saying there, because the interesting thing is we do hear a lot of stuff about the desire for credit or or not wanting credit. But credit is such a big word, right? I mean, we there's credit cards, there's home equity loans, home equity lines of credit, there's installment plans, as Jim pointed out. And mostly it comes down to the ability to get the credit as opposed to whether or not I want to use it. We see some really interesting stuff going on in Gen Z where we look at product penetration across generations. Um, So, you know, talking about uh, checking accounts, credit cards, debit cards, and so on. With Gen Z, it's very funny because you will see a higher penetration of, say, debit cards than checking accounts. This is in survey data. Uh, Do you have a checking account? Fewer people say they have a checking account than say they have a debit card. That's because 
it's the same thing. They they just don't realize that, and there's no checks anymore. So the, all they have is the debit card. So it's what you're calling it, what you're rebranding it as, that becomes very interesting. I think that there's a really uh, cool dynamic that's going on there. To take it back to your earlier question, I think that where you talked about the notion of payment apps, and uh, that's either payment apps that I use with a merchant or peer-to-peer payments. There's an interesting adoption that's going on, and I think both Jim and um, Susan alluded to this, which is, uh, hey, grandma, don't send me a check, just Venmo me the money. And then there's like the what me the money, you know, or PayPal me the money, the what me the money. Uh, well, here you do. You just download this app and now you have older generations using that stuff. Clearly, the, the tech adoption rates tend to be higher on the younger end, but that's just sort of a natural affinity for, for technology, perhaps. But ultimately, the utility trumps it all. And that's where you see a lot more adoption. And we do see that there's pretty consistent adoption. It's uh, clearly higher on the on the younger end of the spectrum. Spectrum, but there's a lot of uh, cool stuff going on with the sort of bleeding out of the technology into older generations as well. What's been quite interesting over the course of the last couple of months is the sort of adoption of, uh, I'll call it sort of Generation X and whatever I am in terms of uh, demographics of people using a P2P or in our case, predominantly PayPal P2P or Venmo P2P for sending money to each other. And you know, a simple example where you know, my gardener or I, I took an Italian lesson in, in four years, I've often paid the, my, my teacher in cash. And now she's like, all right, we're going to go. And sort of culturally, she has been someone who always wanted cash. And now we're sending money back and forth to each other via PayPal P2P. And so I think the you sort of have this moment of time where with the pandemic, with, with Derek said of people perceiving cash as icky or inefficient or whatever, that you now have people who have just latched on to the efficiencies of these uh, payment apps and sort of sending money back and forth to each other. For the most part, you know, Venmo is a very what we call ready fund model that most people are sending money back and forth with money that they own, either, as you write, part of Venmo balance or a bank account or a debit card. And so I, I think you have this sort of convergence of a moment in time with a lot of this technology being ready to support it. I mean, we saw digital payments accelerating and now there's just massive acceleration. And if you think about it, um, well, we did a survey last month and 40% of the people we spoke to were either had lost their job or were f- facing significant income loss. And that combined with needing to purchase everyday essentials and needing to do it in a safe and contactless way, I think is going to end up, you know, a more permanent shift in shopping behaviors as well. So 30% of the customers we talked to said they were likely or extremely likely to continue to use delivery services and curbside pickup. And if you just look at April, this statistic just blows my mind. There was a two, over a 200% increase in the use of curbside pickup or just home delivery of everyday essentials. So it's, we believe this is going to be a fundamental shift in just how consumers are thinking about not only shopping, but how the payments will line up with that shopping experience as a result. So I, I want to take it to, to Honey now because I think it's really interesting. Honey is essentially a browser extension that finds and applies discount codes when people are shopping online, which is 
something that happens before the purchase is made. And it got a lot of attention recently because PayPal bought it for $4 billion, which obviously is a vote of confidence in this service. So tell us a little bit about what is the opportunity there for Honey and why does PayPal want to get involved before the actual moment of payment? Yeah, so what we've seen is the ability to you know, provide Honey as a way for merchants and retailers or fashion brands to market to a customer base that ordinarily may not necessarily see its, its, its capability. So think of Honey as a way of you know, providing offers in the context of someone looking for a, a particular transaction. And so uh, imagine I'm looking for a pair of, of sneakers and I, I want to you know, buy them and I want to make sure that I'm getting the right price. So you know, typically one of the, the biggest challenge with e-com and, and mobile commerce is cart abandonment, meaning that people will put an item into a cart and then they'll abandon that. The main reason that they do that, or one of the main reasons why they do this, they're worried about, are they getting the best price for those items? And so what, what Honey does, it, it basically allows you as a, a buyer to have the confidence that when I'm checking out and buying from a particular site, that I'm getting the best price for it. And so by basically scouring the internet and making sure that I have the, the proper offers that are available to you, it really helps merchants to make sure and give confidence to, to buyers that they're getting the best price for those items or they're, they're offering uh, particular items at, at a price that can be targeted to a specific user groups. And it really gets into the, the premise that, that you alluded to before, Megan, around we want to bifurcate the, the, the process of buying from paying. And there's a lot in, in that, but the, the whole concept is as someone is buying, the whole process that they go through from search to selection to actually making the decision to press the payment button, there's a lot that goes into that. And by knowing who the customer is coming through that, providing them the confidence and security and safety and comfort to know that they're getting the best price and the best offer, we feel is, is a great way to you know, bring the value of our 25 million merchants you know, to consumers and, and vice versa. What's really compelling about the things that both Susan and Jim are talking about is that it isn't so much, oh, I have to go, uh, like back in the old days, if I had eight credit cards, I have to go fumbling through my credit cards and figuring out which ones I'm going to use. It's the idea of, uh, oh, the offer is there for me already. Here it is because it, the tech knows what I'm looking for right now, which borders on that line of uh, good creepy and bad creepy, as Sean Parker once famously opined. The interesting thing is that a small majority of consumers that we've been surveying seem pretty comfortable with the idea that their data is out there and they're using it's 54% to 46%. The 46% are basically saying, I've lost control of my data and I'm trying to actively you know, stop having this kind of tracking following me everywhere I'm going. But ultimately, I think that this does come back to the concept of what Susan referred to as that tipping point, right? There is a, an interesting tipping point going on here that um, is occurring because of pandemic and us, all of us, finding new uh, ways to accomplish tasks that we did without thinking in other ways. Uh, so for example, 
just taking it out of the payments world for a second, you can get into the idea of uh, the zoomification of everything. Suddenly you've got, you know, older boomers and even matures getting on Zoom calls. Now we had Skype before and that stuff did exist before. uh, But the idea of that becoming more ubiquitous because what we're seeing is that you've got this idea of speed, ease and convenience occurring. And then you've got time. A colleague of mine, Claire Tassin, had a really great uh, way to talk about this. She said, it's really the notion of experience plus time that equals that habituation and accelerates that tipping point. It makes it a quote unquote permanent behavior. The opportunity for it back into the payments world of, of trying to find the right way to pay for this. Am I going to uh, tap to pay or am I going to use a deferred payment or pay an installment option when paying at a merchant or online? It's the notion of having these things available to me and perhaps the tech helping me determine which way I'm going to go with that in order to not have that shopping cart abandonment that we just talked about either virtually or in store. So there's a lot of really cool stuff going on with the notion of consumers finding ways that are are much faster uh, to to get back to the peer-to-peer payment thing just really quickly. The idea is, you know, I don't have to wait for the check from grandma to come. It happens right now. The money's there right now. It happens securely. I get comfortable with it. Grandma gets comfortable with it. And therein lies the sort of permanent change in behavior. And we're seeing that more and more. So, yeah, I think that there's a a lot of utility to this idea of having uh, multiple options, but that the options are kind of curated for you. So that notion of honey coming back to the idea of, oh, the offer is there for you because you're in the store right now looking at this thing. Um, So that's a powerful tool. I'm going to give you uh, my focus group of one, which is uh, my son, who's 14 years old, and he is into buying and selling sneakers. He's sort of a sneakerhead, I guess, the terminology. And what what I'm seeing through him is sort of a, a even further decoupling of the buying experience from the payment experience. It's almost what I consider a, a pre-buying experience. And he is into working with something called shopping bots. And basically what the bots do are sort of think of it as almost like a pre-programming of what you want to buy. It will then scour the internet to find it, all based upon you programming that in advance. And so how it works is basically he's using those bots as new sneakers come online to pre-buy them or sort of be the first to buy them in advance. And while that has lots of ramifications, what I'm sort of taking away from it is the idea that it's almost like a Instacart moment where you're saying, all right, I'm going to pre-buy what I think I want, or I'm going to put out the things that I actually want. It could be I want Air Jordans or I want a red scarf or whatever that is. And almost technology is going out to look for it. And you can set a pre-price. You can set all those different things in advance for you to basically make a determination. I want to buy it in advance. So I think of a pay later, it's like buy in advance. And so that's almost something at least I see. And as I talk to other people, it's probably the next wave of sort of online commerce or mobile commerce or commerce in general, where the, where the consumers actually in advance deciding what they want. And so you, you almost need to think about this in terms of trunks, of, of three different tranches. It's what, how are we getting in front of a consumer as they're pre-planning to buy? 
Then there are those that are actually in the buying process of they're not sure if they want something and how do we influence and, and help them make a good choice. And then once there's the actual payment decision, how do we give them choices of how they want to make that payment decision, either in the moment or deferred thereafter for them to then have flexibility to change it if they want that. We also don't want to lose sight of how buy now, pay later actually helps our merchants just by having that payment flexibility there and available. And it's, it, it's a way to inform consumers while they're in the shopping experience, whether or not they can afford to buy more, or maybe they'll pick up a upgraded model because there's a buy now, pay later offer there. And what we find with PayPal credit, which is slightly different because we're a digital line of credit and we have an always on 0% offer on anything, anywhere PayPal's accepted over $99, that that network effect has a significant lift for our merchants. So it's not just a consumer offer. There's a whole merchant side of this that makes the, the payment offer, especially a buy now, pay later offer, really, really powerful for our merchants. And then one of the unique things that we're able to do is we deliver a ton of new customers because they look for the ability to leverage that offer anywhere PayPal's accepted. And that's what our merchants actually really appreciate. Yeah. And I'd love to kind of round it out there to talk about like the crystal ball, like future vision for this. I know PayPal CEO Dan Schulman said that eventually he sees PayPal being sort of like a mobile shopping assistant, which is, is kind of interesting and goes back to that intuition element. What are y'all's like crystal ball vision for the future of payments, whether it's like in the near future or kind of longer term vision? Well, I'd say that the first thing is to go back to the notion of uh, that tipping point and that adoption. Mm -hmm. If we just think of this in the context of pandemic, because why not? Because everything else is <laughs> it's through the context of pandemic these days. Even as we start reopening our society, there will be a long tail of uh, sort of social distancing and, you know, sort of need states where both from the external side, hey, in the store or in the municipality, we don't want you doing X, Y, or Z. And then from the internal intrinsic side where the consumer says, geez, I don't really want to touch that dirty money again. I think that that's where we're going to see an increase in adoption of these things uh, that we've been talking about today happening more and more. Uh, we actually just did some research where we noticed that 12% uh, of consumers are increasing their usage of uh, deferred payment or paying installments type of uh, usage. And it's not like that's a very high usage uh, right now, but a 12% increase in just a couple of months is pretty impressive. And if you consider that long tail of disrupted ways that we do things, continues for a while, at that point, you start seeing that new uh, adoptive measures are, are showing up. So I think in the near term, uh, that's what we're going to see more of. And it will become habituated. It becomes permanent at that point. I think that's right. It's exactly what we're seeing with, with PayPal in general is the pandemic has forced, I mean, we've had some of our best days ever. May 1st was better than any previous Black Friday, Cyber Monday. And we're, so these new customers are coming on. And then what we're seeing is the rapid habituation, which is gets back to it's just going to be a fundamental permanent shift in the way digital payments are thought about and used. My two cents, Megan, is cash is dead. And my hope is that the shopping line that we all stand in at a local grocery store goes away. Basically, digital mobile payments is a conduit and a way to enable that by basically reinventing physical checkout. 
Yeah, I mean, that kind of ties into this idea of intuition in payments and not, you know, just kind of like being where you need it when you need it and less sort of like in one moment in time, which is, I think, um, a great place to end on. But before we go, I mean, this has been a great conversation, but at the end of every episode, we always ask, what is the one technology you don't understand? So, Jim, do you want to go first? I still don't understand how I cannot find my remote control for my TV. And there is, <laughs> we haven't found an easy way to solve that problem. <laughs> Susan, what about you? Uh, my head wants to explode when people start talking about blockchain and Bitcoin. Oh, gosh. Which I'm embarrassed to admit, but <laughs> yeah. I think that's shared by most people. Derek, how about you? Uh, I, uh, you know, I understand how this exists. I understand perhaps why younger people use it, but the sharing of my purchases, uh, either through emojis or any of that other stuff, just blows my mind. Like the social sharing of my, my purchase behavior. It just, it, I'm, I mean, I'm 50 years old, so, you know, I don't talk to anybody about my money, right? So um, that's just one that just, just flattens me. <laughs> I can't, I can't, uh, yeah. <laughs> You so like the Venmo thing, like sharing your emojis. It's like a really new behavior, right? Yeah. Well, well, thank you all so much for joining the Tech Edit. This has been a really interesting conversation. Thanks for having thank us. Thank you so much, Megan. Thanks for having it. Join us next week for our final show of the series as we take a look at the future of the fashion show. I'll be joined by guests helping transition that to the digital world. Make sure you follow or subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or via the Vogue Business website. For more coverage on the future of fashion and technology, subscribe to my weekly technology edit newsletter at voguebusiness.com. Our executive producer was Alid John. My name is Megan McDowell, and that was The Tech Edit. Thanks for listening. The Tech Edit by Vogue Business is brought to you in association with PayPal Credit, helping your customers buy now and pay over time. Go to paypal.com forward slash paypal credit to learn more.